This is Dean Blandino, Head of Officiating for the XFL. Welcome to XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. Are you ready for some more XFL? Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 28th episode. In this episode, you will hear from two guests. First, we will speak to Dean Blandino, the head of XFL Officiating. We will discuss the state of XFL Officiating after week three and talk about how transparent the league is attempting to be in its enforcement of the rules. Then we will speak to Colin Gray, one of our XFLboard.com team reporters for the Tampa Bay Vipers. Colin will help dissect a very interesting XFL Week 4 and provide a look forward into Week 5. Are you ready? Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Dean Blandino, the head of XFL Officiating, to the podcast. Now, Dean was the NFL's vice president of officiating from 2013 to 2017, and now he's with the XFL. Welcome, Dean. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, one thing I know is that you and your team with the XFL, you worked hard to give us the on-field product that we see today. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of time and effort went into this football operations group with Doug Whaley and Sam Schwartz team that really headed up that whole rules and, and, and the pace of play and everything else. And they studied a lot of film and looked at a lot of statistics from not just the NFL, but college and, and the Canadian football league. And, uh, and it really, you know, all that, all that work is, is really what you see on Saturdays and Sundays with the XFL. So you must be pretty satisfied with the product that the, uh, the XFL fans are getting yeah through the first three weeks it's it's been it's been really great the football is is very good the the players are playing at a high level you're seeing you're seeing athletic plays you're seeing plays that you see uh on sunday with nfl games and and that's really exciting both both fox and espn and and are are producing a, a first class broadcast and they put resources behind this and they have their top people um, on the games and, and it's been, I think, I think I've, I've been just absolutely thrilled at what we've been seeing the first couple of weeks of the season. I think fans would agree with you. I think what they see is very polished and very complete and put together. And, uh, it just, it's a testament to the hard work that must have gone into it. Now, is it through transparency that the XFL has avoided any major officiating controversy so far in this inaugural season? Well, I think transparency helps. I, I think sometimes it's sometimes it's circumstance. Sometimes things just happen that are out of your control. But but I think we've got a really, really good staff of officials. All of our officials are Division One college football officials, and and they you know they they've been very good for a very long time, and and they've really worked hard to pick up the XFL rules because you know you have to take the NCAA rule book and, and then there's the NFL rules. And now we've added some things to, to create an XFL rule book and they've really worked hard to, 
to pick it all up. And, and I think it, it's just a testament to, to their preparation um, that, that we have seen the officiating go, go rather smoothly the first couple of weeks. That's, that's exactly what fans have noticed, that it has gone very smoothly. Now, at the start of every game, there is the very uh, unique XFL kickoff, which uh, I'm used to watching the, the, the broadcast and have the broadcasters explain it, which I think is cool. Now, the XFL kickoff has the potential to be one of the most exciting plays in any XFL game. Now, is it working out well for the league? Um, obviously, the kickoff, the kickoff return, whether it's college or the NFL, there have been changes to that play because um, we have seen a higher rate of injury on, on those plays, and obviously player safety is, is the top priority. And that's what went into, and went into the kickoff is how do, we, how do we keep this play in the game and, uh, but make sure that we protect the players from unnecessary risk. And, and that was the goal. And I think that's what we're seeing. I think that's, we're, we're seeing that it's an exciting play. We, we had a kickoff return last week for a touchdown. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a play that, that again, the goal was to protect the players from that, from unnecessary risk. And I think it's working so far. You couldn't script it better to have that kickoff return for a touchdown, uh, in the battle by the Battle Hawks. You couldn't script that any better, could you? No, no. And, and that's, it's just exciting when you see that. Like, like I said, you want to keep that play in the game because it's an exciting play. And then, and then you see it, you see it executed that way with a, with a, with a great, you know, an end around and, and a pitch. And, and then they, uh, they, they take it all the way to, uh, to the end zone. So it's just really, really exciting to see. Now, everybody thought the double forward pass might be the most exciting play in the XFL, but we have not seen too much of it so far. Now, do you think that teams will become more accustomed to it and start adding it to their playbook more often? Yeah, I think they will. I, I think what we've seen, you, you think double forward pass and, and you immediately think, well, that's different and, and how is that going to work? And I think what we've seen, we've really seen two types. We've seen the, the, the unintended double forward pass with, with, you know, Landry Jones from Dallas had a, had a pass that was, was batted by a defensive player. He caught it. And now in, the, in college or the NFL, he can't throw a second forward pass. He has to, he has to run with it, but he was able to complete a pass after that defender batted down the first pass. And so that, that's the one we've seen. And then the other one is more of a, it's obviously a, a planned play, but it's where you have a, a receiver, kind of a jet sweep motion come in front of the quarterback and the quarterback will pitch it forward to him, which is a forward pass. And then that receiver will continue to the other side of the formation and then throw that second forward pass. And we've seen that, you know, be successful on, especially on tries. We, we've, we've seen that. Um, so I think, and I think the coaches are going to get more creative with it. And, and I'm, I'm interested to see how it's going to play out the rest of the season. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch, and especially at the end of the season, to uh, to track which team was using it and which coaches embraced it. I, I think that kind of yeah. information will be fun to look at at the end of the season. Now, the other thing that I know you're tracking is the conversions. So there's one, two, and three-point conversions, and I think I saw a stat. So the stat I saw was there has been 60 touchdowns, but only 28 converted touchdowns. So it's actually not a gimme, these conversions, are they? No, and and what's interesting is that the the rate on the one point try, which is from the two yard line, has not been you know has been below you know below what we expected, and and so I think teams I think what most teams are settling in is they're settling in settling into the two point try from the five yard line, at least initially, and then and then depending on the game situation they may adjust. 
but but again, it's not a gimme. It's not it's not a, it's not easy to execute. And certainly, when you start getting to the three point play, three point try from the ten yard line, one play from the ten yard line is is not a, a necessarily a high percentage play. But obviously, it's it's important that we have that in the rule because that allows teams to come back when they're down by nine points and, and they score a touchdown. So it's uh, it's really it's it's interesting to see how the coaches are going to adjust and see if those numbers do come up, you know, as they make adjustments going forward. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that works. And I, and I know you guys are tracking the stats. Of course, you may make adjustments, but I mean, I'm sure you're just looking at and watching the stats right now. You know, with the original XFL, they, they did away with the kicked convert because they didn't like the kicked convert because it was a gimme. So the fact that it's not a gimme, I think that's, that's what this is designed to be, right? Correct. Yeah, that's. It's not, you know, and then the NFL did that. The NFL used to have the kick try from the two-yard line, and it became a, a 99% play, and uh, they moved the try back to the 15, which made it, which made it, you know, closer to maybe 92, 93%. And this, you know, takes the kick out of the game for the try, and it, it just, again, points are, are at a premium, and uh, you've got to, you know, you've really got to execute if you want to get, if you want to be successful in those situations. Well, it makes the conversion uh, worth watching, that's for sure. Uh, I mean, there's many games where in the NFL, when the conversion uh, happens, I mean, you might be actually going and get any other beer or or refreshing your your food uh, because you know what's going to happen. Now, uh, having no coaches' challenges has sped up the game. Now, do you hear complaints from coaches? You know, we we don't. I think the coaches are happy with the replacement because you have – Every play is getting looked at, and the replay official will stop the game if there is something significant and, and a potential problem. And uh, and I think they're happy with it. And so we do get we do get questions from coaches during the week, and they may ask about holding or pass interference, but very few questions about our replay. I think they're very happy with it. Well, that's good to hear. Now, with only a few exceptions that I've seen, the replay judges in the booth have been. Uh, remarkably efficient in making the correct decisions. And the fans really know the insight behind the calls. So this is working out, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's one of the, the really cool things that we're able to do with the XFL is is listen in and watch the process. And I think that and I think and they have been more efficient. I think it feels more efficient when you're able to watch it and see it happen live. Instead of instead of what normally happens is you know, the referee may be standing there. You don't know what's happening. And we're just sitting around for a minute or two waiting for a decision. And this is something that we, uh, we're, we're really working with our replay officials to kind of think out loud and work through the process. And, and it's really, it's really cool to, to see it and, and have fans actually understand what goes on. Just gives them a better insight into how the whole thing works. Yeah. I think it's working out really well. Now, what I heard before the season started was the goal was to have the replay judge uh, adjudicate a decision in under one minute. And I'm, I guess it's not working out that way. Maybe reality is it can't always take under one minute. Is that what you're finding? Well, yeah, the goal is, yeah, the goal, the goal was to keep it within a minute. So from when the referee makes an announcement that the play is under review, try to make the decision in, 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 in a minute. And, you know, that's just the decision. I think what, what happens sometimes is the decision is made, but they've got to, they've got to figure out, okay, we're going to reverse this to an incomplete pass. Where are we going to put the ball? Do we need to adjust the clock? Those types of things. So, so I think that that sometimes can take longer than a minute. But we we definitely 
in terms of just making the decision, we want them to keep it within that 60 second time frame. Yeah, of, of course. You know, I, I understand that, you know, and I have to say, uh, I haven't heard any complaints from fans. I think they think it's very efficient and it's working very well, especially when compared to other leagues and how they work. Now, the comeback period seems to be working well as, as well. And one thing I noticed is that the broadcasting crew explains it every game. And I, I think that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that the, the timing, you know, there's some different there's some changes to the timing rules and that's something we really had to work at as an officiating staff. I think the broadcasters are doing a great job explaining, you know, once we get inside 2 minutes, the clock is going to stop on inbounds plays for 5 seconds and and those types of things. And so it's it's been something that it's been a work in progress, but everybody everybody's picking it up and and I think yeah, like you said the broadcasters are doing a great job explaining it. Now, when it comes to timing, I haven't heard too much feedback from fans about the 25-second play clock. However, every player that I have spoken to has told me that it definitely speeds up the game. So from a player's point of view, the game is faster. Have you heard that? No question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the game is 25 seconds. Certainly when you go from 40 to 25, you're going to speed things up. Now, we have a built-in the play clock doesn't start immediately following the play, so the ball spotter has to put the football down and then wind the clock. So you do have you do have probably six or seven seconds before the play clock starts. But even then, you're at 32 or 33 seconds, which is which is a significant difference than what most players are used to. And uh, and so it is going to feel quicker. And uh, and the players, you know, they've had to adjust, and and I think they're adjusting really well. We haven't had a a whole lot of delay game penalties and, and that's always a concern when you shorten the play clock and, and being able to get in position and get, get substitutions out um, in time. And, and I think the teams have done a really great job of that. So how excited are you to witness an XFL overtime? Yeah, I was just talking about the other day. I said, you know, I really, I really can't wait for the overtime. I think people are really going to like it. And uh, we obviously, you know, we've tested it. We, we had, preseason kind of rehearsal games and and but we haven't obviously had one in a live game a regular season game so i'm really excited to see it play out and just to kind of see what the reaction is yeah exactly i in fact i just want to see it because uh, i think it's going to be exciting another thing i like about xfl broadcasts is when there is a question about how the rules are applied they often cut to dean blandino sitting in a room somewhere so where are you when that happens yeah, so I'm I'm in the 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 Fox Sports studio in in Los Angeles on game days, and, and so I'm there and I can watch what's happening and I have all the games coming into the into the studio and I have communication to all the stadiums and then and then on our Fox broadcast if there is something that um, is significant and we might need a, a a rule clarification I can go on the air and talk to the talk to the broadcasters and uh, and kind of explain it and have a conversation about it. Yeah, because you're, you're shown, and I guess it's a working day for you then. I shouldn't make fun of this because I was thinking, there's Dean uh, sitting behind a desk with a suit and a tie, but I wonder if he's wearing pants. <laughs> no, I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wearing pants, but uh, yeah, I've got to get fully, fully suited up for those games. Yeah, well, I, I, you know what? I think that's awesome. I, I enjoy actually seeing you show up and explain things to me because I, I really appreciate that. And I know fans do too. Now, during your time with the NFL officiating, you oversaw the NFL's hire of the league's first female official in 2015. Yeah, no, that was a big um, that was a big step for us in the NFL and Sarah Thomas, and she's done a great job. Um, but you know, we were we wanted to put together a staff with the XFL, and 
and and make it a, a diverse staff and inclusive staff. And we there are so many really good female football officials out there. And, and so we have six officials on the staff. We have one replay official and one boss father. And they're and they're all doing a great job, just like all of our, our all of our other officials. And we're just excited to have them as part of the team. Just to clarify, all six of the XFL officiating crews has at least one female, right? Yeah, every every crew has one, and and one crew has two if you if you include replay. I did some research, and I know I can tell this is important to you because you were also involved as a producer of a 2018 independent documentary called Her Turf, right? Yeah, so that was something I got involved with um, Chantel Hansen. She's the filmmaker, and she reached out and she she spent time with. Uh, female football officials and, and videotapes kind of recorded there um, some of the things that they did and some of the officiating camps that they went to and uh, and yeah it was it was a great experience for me and I got to I got to know the the the, the officials and and they've become really good friends and it, it was just um, it was really interesting to see how you know how they handle it because officiating is not not an easy profession at times and and sometimes when you're when you're in the minority, it's even harder. And, and it was really, really interesting to see how they how they handle things. Yeah, I had a look at that documentary, and I, the way I found it, the way I discovered it, was from your Twitter. So uh, I looked at your Twitter, at Dean Blandino, and I think uh, I saw a link on there on your Twitter profile. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I appreciate that, and it was actually a good watch. So if anybody's looking for something to see how female officials are treated in the, in the game of football, this is a good documentary. It actually reveals a lot. Yeah. I'd like to thank you, Dean, for joining us today on the podcast. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, have a good XFL Week 4. Thanks. I'd like to welcome Colin Gray to the podcast. Colin is a sports fan and an XFLboard.com team reporter for the Tampa Bay Vipers. Colin also covers other local Tampa Bay teams as he is a writer covering the Clearwater Threshers for his website, Around the Horn Prospects. Welcome, Colin. Hey, thanks for having me on. Now, this is the first time on this podcast, and I thank you for coming out and being brave and, and coming and talk to me about the XFL. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a great league that they've started. Let's talk about how the league is operating right now. Let's just catch up a little bit. Now, the XFL attendance is averaging overall at about eighteen thousand six hundred per game. Some venues are have more more people, more attendance than others. Tampa Bay did not do very well this week. Now, should the XFL be worried about this? I don't think so. I think it's. It had a lot to play with how late the game was played. Um, you know, it's a Sunday, and you're starting at 7. Um, this is a, a league built for the fans. And, you know, parents don't want to take their kids that late at night. So that's had a lot to do with why there was people missing from the stands in Tampa Bay, do you think? I, I believe so. I mean, there were a lot of people in the crowd that were young, but I'm talking like 20-year-olds. Um, I didn't see too many kids out there. Like we did the very first uh, game at home. So there was less families at this uh, this evening game on Sunday evening for sure. Yeah, there was less. Now you live in Tampa, in the Tampa area. Do you see lots of uh, promotions for the Vipers in Tampa? I do everywhere. I, I think that Tampa has really opened up their hearts to the Vipers um, because everywhere you go, there is something Vipers. 
And I've never seen them open up this way to any team. Um, I think, you know, it's a lot to do with how they're running this league um, is what's really bringing the fans in. But the fans are really just giving it all because Tampa has an issue with keeping the fans at the stadium. Uh, a lot to do with the Rays who don't have any fans that go to the games and uh, they're going to get sold. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to see that the fans really enjoy coming to the games and they're dressing up and they're, you know, they're just wearing their heart on their sleeve with this team. So you think the interest is definitely there and things will improve uh, attendance wise anyways, especially if they get better game times, right? I do. Yes. Now in week four, how was the officiating? Now we've been looking at the officiating every week saying, well, how is this going? And so far it's been going really well and there's been no real big hiccups but there seems to be at least one blown call the XFL had to admit to this week, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, going off of the game last night with the Vipers, I thought the calls were pretty good. Um, you know, there's a lot of plays where I thought they were going to throw the flag with like a passing interference, and they did not. They let the, the guys play the game of football. What call are you referring to that was blown? I didn't actually catch that. So the call was Parham catching the ball and then stretching out to reach the goal line. And as he reached the goal line, the ball slipped out of his hands. And the XFL actually reviewed it and said it was a touchdown. But afterward, Dean Blandino had to come on and say, you know what, we need to work on this. This wasn't, that wasn't a good call. So he actually had to admit that there was a a defective call in the XFL. Now, you didn't catch that, did you? I did not, no. I'd already gotten to the stadium at that point, so I was kind of getting ready for the game. Yeah, so that was something that happened this week. And, uh, I mean, I, I don't I don't think it's out of the ordinary, but it's actually quite cool that uh, Blandino went in there and said, yeah, that's uh, something we have to look at. I mean, they're being very transparent with, their, with the officiating, aren't they? They are. And uh, one thing I caught last week um, was head coach uh, Jones, um, with Houston, he, he called out one of the refs on, on Mike and uh, pretty much told him, if you can't make that call, then you should not be in this league. Yeah, yeah, And exactly. I was surprised they aired that one. That was, um, they played it, uh, I think, twice on the air. They're, they're letting everything out. They're not holding anything back. Yeah, exactly. They're letting everything out. They're being very transparent. So it's, it's interesting to see because I can't see, I'm not aware of any other league that has been this transparent with their, uh, with their officiating and with their referees. Yeah, I agree. Now, uh, the other thing that was really interesting and transparent again was during the Tampa Bay Vipers game. Now, maybe you didn't see this because you were uh, in the, in the stadium. But apparently Deflategate is not a thing for the XFL, as we learned the Tampa Bay Vipers typically leave their game ball softer than usual. And this is apparently allowed. Yeah, when I, yeah, I saw that on um, while I was in the box. I actually saw it live happen on the actual TV monitor, and I was not happy with the way that the um, announcer did that, or, or the reporter did that. Um, if he's going to do that, he needs to pull Taylor aside and uh, you know, do an interview, ask him why. Because now somebody can go ahead and say, well, that's why they won the game or this or that. And then he gave him credit of his success that night due to the balls. Yeah, and exactly. Taylor Cornelius had a great game. 
And it wasn't because of the balls. I can tell you that. And uh, I, I just did not like the way he did that. Well, that's a good point. So Taylor Cornelius had a great game, and it wasn't because of the balls, as you put it. I like, you know, I never thought of that. But you're right. But I was, I was shocked they would actually put that out on on the broadcast because the hashtag DeflateGate actually trended a little bit during that game. So I mean, people people were uh, were equating it to what happened in the NFL with the uh, New England Patriots. I'm all for the interviews. I love it, but leave the equipment alone. You know, that's the player's equipment during the games. Leave it alone. Uh, you know, let the players have their stuff, and then after the game, ask them. But I think if Taylor would have gotten an interview with them, I would have liked to have seen that. Um, I'm unsure if he did even know that uh, that was going on then, because he may not have been happy about it. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah, I, I've yet to hear a response from him on, on that. Uh, be interesting to see that. Now let's go into some of the games that were that went on this past weekend. Uh, we'll I'll run through the games starting on the first uh, Saturday game, uh, L.A. and New York. We weren't really sure what to expect in this game. We, th- we wondered whether New York would, would find their game again and, and discover a quarterback, and we wondered if L.A. can bring it on the road because we know they can bring it at home. But then, did New York discover their new starting quarterback in Luis Perez? I think they might have. Um, you know, going in, Matt McLean hasn't had the greatest season so far and um this this guy came in and he kind of uh came in clutch for new york um perez hasn't really had the spotlight um throughout his career i believe he was a juco prospect and then went to texas a&m uh one of their like uh transit schools um but he did pretty well yeah, he did pretty well, and I know they kept on talking about him. He didn't start playing college. He didn't start playing football until he was in college, and then when he was in high school, he was a bowler, and they kept yeah. on referring to him being a bowler, which I thought was fun. Uh, but it kind of looks like Luis Perez is uh, is the guy. I mean, he's brought he brought the stats, he brought the offense, and he brought a quiet leadership to the team. Something that the team needed was a stable leadership and a quarterback. Yeah, I do agree with that. You know, I think going forward, they may have to rotate some guys like they did with Tampa, you know, in and out um, at QB. But Perez did an awesome job. Uh, he definitely carried his team, and uh, he, he did well in order to get the win this week. Yeah, he was instrumental in that win, definitely. And I'm pretty sure we'll hear later on that he's starting again next week. So let's go to Seattle at St. Louis. Now, Seattle had to go into St. Louis, go into the Battle Dome, which we know was going to be packed again, and it was. Now, did anyone think the Battle Hawks were not going to win this home game? I don't see if anybody could. It was a tough bar for the Seattle Dragons to cross. Now, uh, Brandon Silvers went in there, and he didn't do so well. Is he still the starting quarterback in Seattle? Uh, You know, B.J. Daniels earned his right to be starting uh, this upcoming week, and I think he should be starting. It almost looks like Brandon Silver's lost the starting job for the moment anyways. Uh, But I guess we'll see who they start next week. They're going into Houston next week. That doesn't make it any easier for Seattle, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, You know, whoever they start is going to have to try to put the team on their back and, you know, step up in this role to beat this undefeated team that nobody can seem to beat. 
Yeah, exactly. So somebody's going to beat them eventually. Uh, it could be Seattle, but I wouldn't lay any money on it myself. But one of the things I've noticed about Seattle over the weeks, over the last four weeks, is their receivers seem to get worse and worse and worse at catching the ball. They don't seem to be able to catch the ball. And even with B.J. Daniels, I mean, he ran the ball. That's how he, that's how he did the offense. He ran the ball, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He's, uh, he, he's like Flowers. They came from the same school down here in South Florida. That's how the offense is run. But, he no, he does run the ball very well. Well, that's why he succeeded is because, my, in my opinion, the Seattle receivers just aren't doing the job. They're not catching the ball. Maybe it's, maybe it's the way that Silvers is throwing the ball. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think uh, with Daniels, I mean, he, he saw something, and maybe the coaches did too. That's why they put Daniels in. But, you know, Daniels took the team, and he played with some swagger. You know, he, they could have gotten that one, but, you know, they came up short. Um, I think they ought to stick with Daniels and, you know, let him run the ball some more. Yeah, I agree. I think they should stick with Daniels, but they should always uh, keep Brandon Silvers in their back pocket, I think, because there's something. I think Brandon Silvers has a lot of talent, but there's something to do with those receivers not being his best friends. Now, let's go forward to Sunday and the Battle of Texas uh, was the game that was billed. Uh, Houston at Dallas, and Houston came out on top 27-20. to Was the Battle of Texas as good as it was billed to be? It was a pretty close game, you know, going into the fourth quarter. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, we had an injury with the quarterback. And uh, But I thought, you know, I was hoping that Dallas maybe pulled it out. But they didn't. And I think they have a lot to look forward going. I mean, with the injury and, and the MCL tear. But it was a good battle of Texas. I guess it was, right? But. Landry Jones walked out on the field and threw three interceptions in the first quarter. But what is interesting about that stat is Houston never really capitalized that greatly on those three interceptions. They didn't really run the score up. So even though Dallas came out really in a poor way, they were still in the game right up until the last uh, two minutes of the game, weren't they? Yeah, they were. It really shows him as a quarterback being able to take those three throws that that were picked and throw them out of, you know, just out of there and come back and stay in the game. And, you know, unfortunately he did get hurt, but it shows the type of head game that he has in order to still compete in that game because most quarterbacks, after you throw three picks in the first quarter, you're done for that game. Yeah, exactly. He was not done. And as a matter of fact, when he got hurt, he was uh, rushing uh, two yards to get the first down, which he uh, which he got before his knee was jammed and then he uh, uh, left the game. Knee injuries are never good. Um, I know he's had some troubles with it in the past. Uh, he needs to look forward to just trying to get better. And I think coming back is going to be tough for him. Now, seeing that he threw three picks, came back, and still battled it out, I think this knee injury is nothing for him. I think he's going to come back stronger, and I think he's going to really help uh, them win. But Dallas has a good team. Well, Dallas has a good team uh, aside from Landry Jones. I mean, I know Landry Jones was the franchise quarterback, but they still have a good team sitting there. And if they they can get the right leadership and the right quarterback on top of that team, they're, they're going to contend, um, especially in the XFL West. Right. The way it looks right now with the XFL West, the uh, second-place team's going to go to the playoffs and lose to Houston. <laughs> That's kind of how it looks. But, of course, this is only the fourth week. You don't know how this thing is going to play out, right? There's still a long way to go. 
Yeah, there is. And with Tampa, you know, finally getting that win, it's it's a whole new ball game for everybody. Yep, so Tampa got the win. And then let's talk about that game next. Uh, Tampa and D.C., poor D.C. walked into Tampa Bay, and they just did not look like they had anything to offer. And Tampa Bay looked like the winners that they were meant to be probably from the start of the season. Uh, they were 0-3 prior to this game, and they probably shouldn't have been 0-3. They probably should have been should have had at least one win in those first three games, shouldn't they? Yeah, they have a good team, and they're finding their chemistry and I think that Tampa is going to be one to make a run. I don't know if it's going to be to the top, but Tampa's got a good, a good team, a good staff. Um, they got a good duo at the backs, and they're gonna they're gonna do some damage. I think they are. In fact, people have been thinking that about them for a while. They just haven't been able to make the win until now. Uh, now, is Tyler Cornelius the answer for Tampa Bay? After last night, I think that. Mark Trustman needs to let Cornelius and uh, Aaron Murray uh, to battle it out. Catch me up. Is Aaron Murray, is he completely healthy now? Uh, I don't think he's completely healthy. I think he's probably about 80% there. Last night, I don't think he took a rep, but how can you take out Tyler Cornelius after the game he had? I mean, he was on last night, and you don't want to stop his momentum. Well, I think Tyler Cornelius, they should start him again, but Aaron Murray is always going to be in the back pocket, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, injuries, I don't know what's going to happen. I think these XFL teams probably all need to have two, at least two good quarterbacks sitting in their, their squad just to get through the season or get through a game even. Now, D.C. has a quarterback. D.C. has the starting quarterback that they wanted, Cardell Jones. But is Cardell Jones's confidence broken now? I don't think he's broken. I think somebody needs to take Cardell aside and really let him know that you're not the guy that's going to lead us if you're going to act that way. I mean, he was caught during Mike Dub, you know, to bench Tompkins. Well, I've seen the tweets go out of other people saying how awful that Jones is. Well, you don't know the whole backstory is that Cardell Jones and him, uh, they bunk together. They are roommates. And during the press conference, Jones said that it was kind of more of like a personal, you know, statement of, hey, dude, let's go. Wake up. I don't think he's lost everything. Uh, his confidence isn't broken, but he needs to wake up and realize that you can't, you can't act like that. And he's had a past of showing his emotions on his sleeve. Um, he did it with the Buckeyes and he also did it in the, during the NFL with his tweets and, you know, other things that he's done. Yeah, so maybe he needs to just uh, dial it down a little bit and get back to uh, concentrating on football. Now, the other thing i was been wondering is, do the D.C. defenders have a road game problem? They can't play on the road? That's a tough one because they've only played two games on the road, but they've lost them both. During the press conference, that was brought up, I think, twice. And Jones and their head coach both said that they just need to concentrate. They need, they need to find a a factor of how to pump each other up without taking each other down um, because there's a lot of negativity going on. And I, I, I can't speak for them, but they need to change if they want to stay up top the way they are right now. Yeah, so it's only week four, and D.C. had two wins and two losses. Uh, they just need to tighten themselves up and get back to playing football, right? And I'm sure that's exactly what they're looking at right now. That's exactly what it is. 
Okay, well, next week we'll see how they do. Now, next week St. Louis is coming to town for them, and then they'll have a nice their home stadium back, and maybe they'll put up another win uh, against St. Louis Battlehawks. Now, before we stop talking about the D.C. at Tampa Bay game, there's one player that was acquired into the Tampa Bay organization, S.J. Green from the CFL, and he's actually one of my favorite CFL players, and I put him on my daily fantasy list this past weekend, and I think he he dropped the pass, so it was didn't go well for S.J. Green, did it? Uh, no, it did not, but S.J. Green had the stats to, you know, just to talk for himself uh, in this uh, league with with the CFL, and I think he's going to be a big factor for Tampa. The guy's got hands and speed like no other. Yeah, no kidding. He does. Now, I, I guess I'll have to consider him again for my daily fantasy next next weekend to see if I'm brave enough to put him on the roster again. But, you know, I, I get a feeling he's going to have a breakout day uh, on the field uh, uh, maybe next week. I'm looking forward to watch it. Yeah, I'm hoping so. Uh, he's been dealing with something with his knee that happened late this week in practice. Um, he was questionable going uh, into the game, but ended up he, he got cleared to play. So they only gave him a few reps, but I think he'll be good for us. Yeah, you know, I've seen him play with a bad knee before and get 100 yards, so <laughs> I don't think that'll slow him down. Yeah, so it's there's a lot of interesting things going on in Tampa Bay, isn't there? There is. Um we have a little thing going on with Quentin Flowers' uh, last game, or not last game, but the game before that. You know, the fans were cheering for him, wanting him in, and he ended up quitting or asking to leave the team. And I just read something that he's back, and I think he's only back to be traded. So I'm looking forward to see what happens, but I wish him the best, being from uh, Florida. Now, the fans wanted him because he's a Florida guy. He was he was definitely a fan favorite. Um and that's what I tweeted out about uh, with Taylor Cornelius. You know, when he there's one play that stood out. You know, besides the win, the stats, everything was when he put his shoulder down in the end zone and took a huge hit for his team and for Tampa Bay. That should talk to the fans about. Listen, you guys were booing him last week, and this dude just dislocated his shoulder in the end zone and still went out and played the whole game. The guy can play. The guy's a hustler. Uh, the guy's got a lot of you know jazz that he has just to offer. And I think Tampa needs to really consider getting on his fan base. You know, you make a good point there. And my understanding is Tyler Cornelius is uh, smart enough to not use his throwing shoulder when he did that move. And uh, he was able to uh, survive it. Uh, but it shows that his bravery and his, his commitment to the Tampa Bay Vipers, doesn't it? It does. It really does. Um, I think if they stick with him and short passes and run those backs like they do, I think they're going to be a deadly offense. Well, week five, we'll see how they can pull it together in week five and get their second win, possibly. Now, let's actually look forward to week five of the XFL, you know, with some, with some fun predictions. I mean, well, who do you think is going to win is what we're going to do. Um, so the first game next week is Seattle at Houston. Uh, this looks like a tough place for Seattle to be going to. Yeah, it does. And um, I'm going to actually go ahead and pick the Dragons to win for an upset and shock everybody. But Houston, I think, is going to walk in there um, and think they're going to walk over them. But, I, you know, I think I have faith in the Dragons. I want them to win this one. I would love to see the Seattle Dragons win for sure. And, of course, they've if they do start uh, B.J. Daniels, then maybe it'll be a different story for them. 
it's going to be tough for them to win in Houston. So if they were able to pull off that win in Houston, it would be a big morale boost for them, wouldn't it? Oh, it would. And I, I'd say it would be huge for the league, for every team. Um, I think it would shake everybody up, and the Dragons would really put some fear uh, underneath them. So for league parity, Seattle Dragons to win in Houston, um, you know what? I'm going for Houston because I really think they're going to win. <laughs> I think everybody <laughs> is, and that's why I went against them. Well, I, you know what? And I, I appreciate what you're saying. Because I am the guy that, that always cheers for the underdogs, which is why I'm cheering for Seattle. But I'm pretty sure Houston's going to beat them. And I hope I'm wrong. That's my story. So the next game, New York is going into Dallas. So another home game for Dallas. Is New York going to be able to uh, to do it in Dallas? I don't think so. I think Dallas um, is going to power through it. And I think their backup's going to come in, and I really think they're going to win this one, especially after this past week. Now, Dallas has a really good team, and they're going to be playing at home. They just lost a game at home, so they're going to really want to win this next home game, aren't they? Yeah, they are. So it's too bad for New York because New York needs a win as well. But I, I agree with you. I think Dallas is going to take it to New York. Now, the next game, St. Louis is going to D.C. Uh, again, Another game that I'm just waiting to see how this plays out, right? This one, I'm, I'm going to go with D.C. Uh, they're coming off of two losses. I think they're going to uh, step it up. I think somebody's going to grab this whole squad and say, listen, we got to come, you know, just w- with each other and play this game right. You know, they're, they're worried too much about I'm doing this, I'm doing that, it looks like, and they need to play as a team. And I'm hoping that uh, Jones does something different this game. You think that uh, Cardell Jones will see the light and will put put a game together next week against St. Louis? I think he will. I think somebody on their staff is going to really sit down with them and really discuss with them what's going on because he's not seen it. And he, I don't think he ever has. He wears his heart on his sleeve too much. You're hoping that D.C. beats St. Louis at home then? Yeah. You know, I agree with you. I hope D.C. does beat St. Louis at home. And frankly, uh, I, don't, um, I hope St. Louis brings all their Bud Light Seltzer supply to D.C. and then they have to drink it on the play home. So St. Louis at D.C., we're both, we're both rooting for D.C. to win it. We both think D.C. is going to win it and put it together. Uh, the last game, Tampa Bay is flying all the way to the other side to L.A. So how is this going to work? Both are up-and-coming teams. Who's going to come out on top? I'm thinking Tampa Bay on this one. I think after this past week, I think they've understood their roles as players, and I think they're going to stick to what they did this past week, and I think they're going to come up on top. You're saying that especially with your thought that Taylor Cornelius will quarterback them this weekend? Yes. Actually, I think both. With with Aaron Murray or with Taylor, I think they'll, I think they're going to come up on top. You know, I, I agree with you. I think Tampa Bay is going to win on the road against L.A., I think it's going to be a good game. In fact, it's one of the games I want to see. It's actually a late game, isn't it? <clears throat> uh, I didn't actually see the time. Well, it's it starts at 9 p.m. Eastern, so of course it's in L.A., so it's at 6 p.m. L.A. time. But it's it'll be a late game on uh, on the East Coast, so I think it's interesting that way. Their viewership might be a little bit lower because of that. And again, it's a 6 p.m. start in L.A., so they're... Their attendance might be low as well, I think. Yeah, I'm hoping it's high, though. I mean, I, I want this league to succeed, 
these teams that are not doing as well, they need to keep fans in the stands if they want to continue to have a team. Um, I can't speak for the XFL, but I think that, you know, if the league continues over the next coming years, that these teams that aren't having a great stands, you know, with attendance are going to maybe think about moving. Well, I guess LA is one of those one of those markets that hasn't been doing well in the stands, but I think they have a big TV market in that area, so I think the XFL is weighing that off. Um, anyways, yeah, there's a lot going on behind the scenes when it comes to these numbers with TV ratings and uh, attendance that we're not even aware of. So just to recap, Tampa Bay at LA, and big surprise, you're going for Tampa Bay, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so yep, am I. I'm going for Tampa. So am I. I'm, I think Tampa Bay is going to win that. And I, again, I, when I say that, I feel bad for L.A. because I know they need the win as well. Now, before we finish our talk uh, today, uh, you said you wanted to send a shout-out to your mom. Yeah, I do. Um, so when she hears this, she, she doesn't actually know that I'm, that I'm going to be doing this. But, uh, Mom, I want to say that I'm very proud of you um, for going back to work after a year. Uh, you've been sick, and uh, I really appreciate everything that you do and that I love you. So that goes out to Colin's mom. Thanks, Colin. Uh, yeah, thank you. Now, I'd like to thank you for coming out today and being on uh, the first time on the XFL Extra podcast. Now, people can follow you online at, at Colin Gray underscore FP, and I'll spell that out, uh, C-O-L-I-N-G-R-A-Y underscore FP, right? That's correct. And they can also read your articles on XFLboard.com. Yep. Well, thanks, Colin. It's been nice talking with you. Yep, thank you. Thanks again to my guests, Dean Blandino and Colin Gray. I hope you enjoyed today's interviews. You're welcome to come back next time, where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. Mm-hmm.